Now, uh, we care an awful lot about justice. Uh, we want this world to be fair, for people to play fair. It's, I mean, people, we want people to have equal access. We don't want people to be oppressed. That's an easy enough thing that's not controversial. Um, everybody wants to be in line with that. So when something like the Me Too movement comes along, um, which if you're not familiar with that, it's basically a movement against sexual harassment and assault um, against women. When that comes up, it becomes popular and gets a lot of play, especially in the West, as it should. Uh, and I think what we've found through the Me Too movement is that men, surprisingly, men have been oppressing women for years. Who knew that? Women, oh, okay. Uh, and people from all kinds of backgrounds are victims, and people from all kinds of backgrounds are perpetrators. Whether you're part of a nationalist political party or live it up Hollywood style, you as a man enjoy oppressing women, or at least that's what you do. So there are people from the left and from the right, people from like Louis C.K. who's like, oh, broke my heart, Louis C.K., one of the perpetrators. All, to all sorts, to politicians, to everybody. Everybody seems to be guilty because we live in an unjust world and there are unjust and broken people who are part of it. But the problem doesn't stop there, it goes on because we ourselves are broken. We all like the idea of justice, but we don't always follow through because we would rather be consumers. What we've been talking about over these past few weeks is what does it mean to be freed from consumerism? What does it mean to actually be generous? So I think sometimes we think the answer to consumerism is just having less stuff. And though that might be helpful, that's not really the answer. I think generosity, being able to give, and not just money or possessions, but being able to give all of ourselves is the antidote to living in this consumeristic world. So I think we really do care deeply about justice. Like, I think we actually really do. But when it comes to how we live our lives, when it really matters, we'd much rather be consumers. And maybe there's a bit of like consumerist justice that, that kind of rolls in here. Or we're more concerned about signaling our virtue and, and talking about how good we are, maintaining an image of how generous we are without actually really being generous, which is really the best of both worlds. I don't have to be generous, but I can be seen as generous. Then, you know, I get to have all the things I wanted before and actually get to be seen as a good person. A perfect example of this is the Nissan Leaf, which is an electric car. It was, um, electric cars have been around for a long time and they, and they weren't selling very well. And what Nissan did is they made a completely different body style. There we go, completely different body style um, and for this electric car. They named it something different. They didn't just like get, put a little electric badge on an existing line of cars that, that was electric. And they made a whole new different kind of car. And this is what sold electric cars for America because it looked different, because it had a different name. There's a word for this in the marketing world. It's called conspicuous consumption. Like people will know that I bought an electric car and they're gonna know that I love the environment. So consumerist justice, the way we, we deal with our consumerism, that, that just, what that means is we go with what feels good, we go with what's easy, and what most strongly signals our own virtue that we already have. That means it's not really for the other. I mean, I care about the environment, but sort of, but now I really care about the environment because everybody knows that I care about the environment. It's not really for the other, it's for ourselves. Just to, there are just another product that through our giving, we can buy to make ourselves better people. Now, driving electric cars is great, and if that's the way to make people drive more electric cars, let's do more of that. Um, giving money, giving time to charities is good, uh, and we do it as a church, but it's easy to maintain something on the outside and be broken in the inside, to maintain that selfishness inwardly. I mean, and what about working for justice when it's difficult? 
like people who are homeless. That's why we partner with Reach Out to the Community. It's not the easiest thing in the world to work with people who have been homeless for decades. And if we're only concerned about what's going to be easy and what's going to make us look good, working for the homeless is not going to be part of it. So what about those people? Uh, there's a, a theologian named Bruce Walkie that had the definition of righteousness, the definition of being just, as one who disadvantages himself for the advantages of the community. That's different to how we often live our lives. And what about when justice is unseen? Like if we're going to help somebody, we better be seen doing it so that we, you know, we get those, those chips. There's that famous quote, I don't know, I tried to look up who started, who originally said it, probably Mark Twain or Abraham Lincoln or something, who knows about the, the internet. It says, the test of character is what you do when no one is watching. You've probably all heard that before, maybe from our parents or something like that. What you really do when no one is watching, that's really who you are. Oh, is that really who we are? Because I do some horrible things when nobody's watching. I have some horrible thoughts. So to be freed from our consumerism, there must be another way to live. And this is what Jesus proclaims in Luke. He basically says, we're all poor. We're all in need of, of being freed from an oppressive system. We're all in, just need, in need of justice ourselves. We're caught up in a consumerist world with consumerist hearts. We're prisoners, all of us. And Jesus offers us freedom from a broken system and broken hearts. And instead of being captive to it, we can flourish within it despite the brokenness and allows us to work for others' freedom as well, not just for our, first for our own gain, not for what we get out of it, but for what others actually get out of it, even when it's difficult, even when it's not seen. So um, we're first gonna talk, we're just gonna talk about two things, experiencing God's generous justice and responding to it. So we'll talk, first talk about experiencing it. Um, in Luke, Jesus begins his public ministry through reading this passage from an Old Testament prophet. This is like, what we're reading here is the beginning stages of Jesus' ministry on earth, of when he starts healing people and teaching and all sorts of things. And he's reading this passage from an Old Testament prophet called Isaiah. It's from chapter 61. So he's there. He's at the synagogue. It's kind of like a church setting. He gets up from his chair, maybe like Tim, all of a sudden gets up, comes up with his Bible. Um, Jesus swipes over till he gets to Isaiah. He's like, uh, looks at the table of contents and reads a portion from chapter 61, these, these few verses here. And then looking around, he sits down, and he's still holding the mic, because it was back, they didn't have radio mics then, he was holding a microphone then. Um, and looking around, he says, this is true because of me. This is now fulfilled because this is who I am. And he drops the mic. The sound tech gets angry because you're not supposed to do that to microphones, it messes them up. But no one else is very excited about it either. And they want to throw him off a cliff. Like literally throwing a person off a cliff. Like literally wanting to do that. It's not metaphorical. They want to throw him off a cliff. Why did people get angry? Jesus is basically saying, freedom for everybody. And people are like, mm, no, we're going to kill you. What, why would they be so angry? Well, some of the key is um, this little bit in the, in the section, verses 24 through 27, when Jesus talks about Elijah, he talks about um, uh, Elisha, and there's like these places that we've kind of heard of and maybe never heard of, and these names that are really weird to pronounce. Basically, Jesus is saying, the people who received this blessing were people who were not originally from Israel. These were outsiders. These were foreigners. These were people who you looked down on. These are people who you were basically racist against. And then the Israelites, the Jewish people, who should be loving everybody because they've received a wonderful love, they want to throw Jesus off a cliff. Like, oh, that freedom thing sounds really great. Wait, freedom for everybody? No, you, you got to go. You got to go. And also, Jesus is talking to religious people, which 
If you go to church, you're a religious person, it's offensive to tell a religious person that they're poor, that they don't have it all together. Religious people, we love to think that we have it all together. And Jesus is saying, you don't. Jesus basically is proclaiming the best possible news anyone could have ever heard. If you're poor, there's good news. If you're a prisoner, you get freedom. If you're blind, you get to see. If you're oppressed, you become free. And this is the time where God will work, where the king himself will give you favor, where God will welcome you. Who doesn't want that? If you aren't needy, being offered a gift as if you are is offensive. Like, I'm not needy. I got it all together. I'm not like those needy people. And those are the types that want to throw Jesus off a cliff. And if we're honest, really, we want to chuck him often enough. Jesus, do you really have to say that? I'd rather you throw up, get thrown off a cliff. The problem with that, though, is that we cannot experience God's love if we throw him off a cliff. It's kind of hard if we do that. A church can run him out as easy as a synagogue can. So in an effort to not throw Jesus off a cliff, let's not miss out on what Jesus is doing here as a church. And let's talk a little bit about what it means to experience God's generous justice in our lives. Because first we are in need of justice ourselves. Before we can talk about being generous to others, we need to talk, talk about how we are needy, how we are poor, how we are oppressed. And the first thing is uh, that we are living in a broken system. Life should be amazing right now. But how do we experience life? Probably not amazing. Generally, people aren't, aren't like, this is the best time in the world to be alive. The world is perfect, I love my life. There might be some great things, but generally, like, we all have brokenness too. I mean, here, here's just a couple crazy amazing things that exist in our world. Airplanes. Airplanes exist in our world. Someone was like, I'm going to make a hunk of metal, fly it through the sky, and uh, yeah, I'm going to put seats on it and put people in that. That's crazy. And it's so normal. Have you ever seen an airplane take off? You can, like, tell me fluid dynamics and physics and all sorts of things. It's still crazy to see an airplane take off. That's amazing. And that exists like it's normal. What about the internet? The internet is crazy. The fact that these computers are connected to computers and we can like do all these things and learn all these things. And of course, most of us just, I mean, 30% of the internet is used for pornography anyway. So what do we use it for? Horrible things. But also like the internet is amazingly cool. And you have all these, but maybe you're not into cables. Okay, well, we have Wi-Fi. You don't even need cables. You can experience everything. And it all fits literally in your pocket. That's insane. And we, we live with that every day. Also, mobile phones. We, you can talk to anybody that you want to at any part of the world at any time, assuming people still talk to each other on the phone, which is not very common. Maybe you could text anybody you want to at any point at any time. Those things are insane. That was kind of like what the future looked like. The idea of FaceTime or Skype being ubiquitous as it is. When I was a kid, that was like the future. You call somebody and you get to see them. What? That's insane. I mean, we don't have any jetpacks yet, but I know the jetpacks are coming. We will all have jetpacks at some point. We live like kings. I mean, compared to the people that Jesus is talking to in the synagogue, if they jumped in the TARDIS and came out and jumped and all of a sudden were in your room, that these people that Jesus is talking to today, be like, whoa, you, you must be a king. You must be a queen. You have running water. You have a toilet inside your house and it works. You have a refrigerator. You have all this food. Oh, surely you just have one pair of clothes. No, you have a closet full of clothes. You don't have to worry about when you're going to eat like next week because you have a freezer. I mean, all those things are crazy. And we live with it like it's normal. We live like kings. We live like queens. People of the day were day laborers. So if you didn't eat or you didn't work that day, you didn't eat. If I'm ill, I still get to eat, even if I didn't work that day. That's, that, that's an amazing thing. But are we happy? Many of us aren't because we feel oppressed. We feel needy. 
And the reason we feel like that, it's very simple, because we are. <laughs> the reason why we feel oppressed is because we are oppressed. The reason why we feel needy is because we are needy. We are poor. The broken systems that promised us everything, all those things I just mentioned, is just a part of one massive broken system. They gave us promises that the world is going to be amazing, but they lied to us. It's not always amazing. You can still have all the things and still be poor. A system that promises contentment or satisfaction or whatever through material possessions is more than a broken system. That's evil because it's a complete lie and we buy into it. It lies and distorts and like a vampire, it feeds off our discontent. That's how consumerism works. It only works if there's discontent to be fed off of. So consumerism is like this. I'm standing in a field by myself and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't enough. I think I want something more. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like a spade salesman shows up and is like, this is what you need. You need a spade. You need to dig. So you dig a little bit. Um, and you know, after a while, I'm tired. And uh, the, though the initial digging like, felt exciting, I'm back in my discontent. I'm just like a few feet lower. I'm already short to begin with, so it's not, a good, not a good for me. And so I'm like, oh, man, what should I do next? Well, that spade salesman is there. He's like, oh, you need a better spade. You need to dig faster. You need to dig more. You need to dig better. And so I dig more, I dig more, I dig more, and I just end up in this hole. And the only answer that the salesman is giving me is more spades. But I just go further and further into the hole. And I dig and I buy and I keep digging, never getting the contentment, always sinking deeper and deeper. Because we live in a broken system. So we are needy and we're in need of justice. So when Jesus says words like, the Father has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, that's really, really good news. But how do the people respond? Well, these are religious people, so how do you think they responded? Because religious people work for love. They try and do good things to get in good standing with God or with other people. You don't have to be part of a religion to be religious. Many of us are just kind of wired that way to begin with. Jesus says you can't do that anyway. You don't need to. Religious people pride themselves on their ethical affluence. I'm so good because I do these things. Jesus isn't impressed. He calls them poor. In this story, our lives are reflected by two groups of characters. One, the needy people who Jesus is talking to, and two, the religious people who want to throw Jesus off a cliff. And we're both of those simultaneously. We need freedom, but we also don't like the one who offers the freedom because he changes the game. And he asks us to do uncomfortable things, like welcome people who are different than us. So lest we think of ourselves merely as victims in this broken system, Although that is true, we ourselves are also its perpetrators because we're broken. We have broken hearts. We live in a broken system as the oppressed, but we also oppress others. Now we may not be running like a totalitarian regime where we put others under our thumbs and are like murdering the, the, uh, the people who are you know, against us, but in our own way with the power that we do have, because we have a lot of power, are we using it justly? Are we generous with it? If you have employees, do you treat them like objects? For your work colleagues, are they just basically there for your own gain? Do they revolve around you? I mean, do you really want to know the stories of how all these parts were mined and how they ended up together here? I don't think we do. I think just by being the end user, the end buying this product, just being part of the system, we oppress others. Our lavish Western lives are advantaged at the disadvantage of others, surely. Now, for someone who has a job, a home, a family, are you leveraging any of that for those who don't have those things? We're not, probably, but worse than that, if we're honest, we probably really don't care. We're broken inside and we need help. And Jesus' help changes the world, changes the game. The world of consumerism tells us that we need to do more to get more. 
To seek more power for ourselves is always better. To seek more money for ourselves is always better. Jesus offers something else altogether. It's unlike any other philosophy or religion. To give it all up to follow Jesus, you actually get everything. And what do you have to do? Nothing. And that's actually the hardest part, especially for people who are workaholics or perfection addicts. Maybe you're like me and a little bit like that. Working more, seeking all of our lives to be as Instagrammable as possible. That's hard work. It's never ending. That's oppression. That's a, that's a, that's a burden. The hope is that there could be some kind of a buildup through all these great experiences, through all these good things I've done. There'd be some kind of buildup, some kind of ethical affluence that I can save and I can bank that. And it can become some kind of savings account that maybe I'll do some bad things, but I don't draw enough out of that savings account to be considered a bad person. I'm generally pretty good. The problem with that is we wildly overestimate all the good we do and completely underestimate all the bad that we do. And Jesus comes, he doesn't seem to care about how good these people are. Does he say, oh, man, if you're really bad, you can follow me. If you're really good, you can follow me. He, he doesn't care. Everyone's equal. He's offering something for free, and that's what's offensive. It's offensive because it basically says all that saving up wasn't worth anything. They might be good things to do, but they're not going to solve the problems of a broken heart or a broken world. Like, but I've worked so hard for it, Jesus. And now here is why this is good news for us. For those who are ethically affluent, for those, or at least you think you are, think you do a lot of really good stuff, Jesus doesn't care about that, which means you can rest. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do good things. It just means the reason why we do good things is different. We're not there to buy or manipulate God in some kind of way that he's going to smile upon us. He already does smile upon us. You can take a break. You've tried digging yourself out of a hole, but there's always more soil to dig. And Jesus sees us down there and lifts us out. But won't people take advantage of that kind of freedom? Yes, of course they will. And that's a risk that God is okay to take. And we'll get to what responding to God's generosity looks like in our lives in a moment. But for now, this is what it's like to experience God's generosity in our own lives first. We have to recognize the uncomfortable truth that we are the poor. No matter how hard we've worked, all of us here are poor. The system is broken, so working harder doesn't get us out, and we're broken too. But no matter how hard we oppress others, how we take advantage or not care about the poor, Jesus' offer goes to all. Because before Jesus, we're all the same, we're all needy. And Jesus is saying, this prophecy from Isaiah, this, that he, that he uh, un, unfurled and started speaking, is about him. So that means he's the one who sets us free. Jesus sets us free, but also, wait, we're unjust, a just judge, if you're, if you're a good judge, you're going to give an appropriate punishment to people who have committed the crimes. So how can God be just and also be loving at the same time? Because if he's only just, that's bad news. Because we're guilty. We know we're, we're not always perfect. And if he's only loving, that's bad news because also we're oppressed and we need someone who's just to bring us out of that, un, that broken system. So we're stuck between our needs of love and justice together. The only thing, the only way this can be good news, the only way Jesus can be telling the truth here, proclaiming the truth that we're now in God's favor is through the cross. So how will Jesus make this true, make these verses true of what he's saying about himself? He will die to make this true. And the cross is where God's love and his justice kiss. In his justice, God delivers a punishment. In his love, he takes that punishment on himself. Jesus died so that oppression could be killed. Not just the system, though yes, but also our hearts. The punishment we deserve is taken upon himself so that we can be freed from the broken system and given a new heart. And the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's generosity towards us, where he can punish our lack of justice as well as welcome us into his home. The cross 
is the ultimate protest against a consumerist system, a consumerist world. And by following Jesus, instead of trying to get something for ourselves, we get to be part of bringing that wholeness to the world. Now, that sounds crazy, and it is. And that's what we believe as Christians. It's a crazy thing we believe. But what if it was true? It is. It would be like if Jesus walked into a busy bar, like here at Dulcimer at like 11 p.m. on a Friday night. He walks in, he like kicks the door, and he exclaims with a massive voice, all drinks are on me, like for the rest of the night and for the rest of the weekend. How would people respond? You'd think they'd be happy. Like, hey, all right, this is good. Would people still be like fighting and clamoring to pay for their own drinks? Hopefully not, unless they're dumb. I mean, how ridiculous would it be to continue to pay for your own drink? Hopefully people will be taking advantage of Jesus' free gift. Now, this is just as ridiculous as the people's response. Jesus has walked into the synagogue saying, freedom for everybody, you're all poor, and I offer this freedom for free. And they want to kill him. They throw him out. They're missing it. And yes, I do think Christianity is a never-ending free bar tab. I think it's a good metaphor, especially given, <laughs> given our situation. Conversely, that means not following Jesus is like saying no to free beer and not some like really cheap crap beer, some really good beer that was like brewed by monks who like that's their sole devotion in life is to create a like a wonderful, you know, liquor of the gods or something like that, painstakingly brewed using old mysterious recipes. I mean, that's the kind of free beer that Jesus offers all of us. And if you don't like beer, he makes whatever you like. Lemonade? I don't know. So let's not miss out on God's generosity towards us first, which means we have to see ourselves as needy to accept it. But it doesn't end there because being freed from a broken system and a broken heart, now that frees us to be generous towards others. And so that we have experienced God's generosity to ourselves, uh, we're going to look at what is the proper response and what, to, what should our lives look like when it comes to justice. Now, the verse that Jesus reads here is from Isaiah 61. Um, not, that we've, we've read uh, previously. And I'm just going to look at four different verses in the Old Testament to show, just going to quickly walk through it. I'll have it on the screen. To show it's not like Jesus picked a really weird, obscure part of the Old Testament to proclaim or to talk about. This is stuff that people then knew very well, like what God was all about. Um, and, and so we're going to briefly walk through a bit of the Old Testament. But first, the thing that got, made God really angry with his people in the Old Testament were people who would show up for uh, worship, but not actually worship with the rest of their lives. And especially those who wouldn't seek the justice of others, people who are marginalized. That's what really got God angry. God would basically say, please don't even worship me. Seek the justice of other people who are less fortunate than yourself first, and then worship me. So we're going to look at, um, at some verses as to kind of what's going at behind the scenes here uh, and also what it looks like to live the Christian life. The first is from Deuteronomy 10. 17 through 18. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. This is a transcendent Lord, a wonderful, big, massive God in charge of everything. And then what does he do? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So a transcendent, awesome, beyond our imagination kind of big God, loving people so much that he cares about specific things like food and clothing. God cares about our physical reality of what's going on. In the summer, we're going to be um, looking at Micah, but uh, here's just kind of a brief taste of, this is almost like what the Christian life is summed up in one, vo- in one verse, Micah 6.8. He whose God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does it mean to live the Christian life? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
When people weren't doing this, that's what God made, that's what made God angry. Stop, he would say, stop being so religious. You worship me with your words, but in your life you aren't living the way you should, so seek justice. A definition of justice um, just means setting things right, leveling the playing field. If in one house you have people who have no food, and the house right next to it you have people who have an amazing amount of food, and if that goes on to stay that way, that's unjust. Things shouldn't be that way. People who have stuff should give to people who don't. That's what generosity looks like. So this is spiritual and physical, because God cares about both. The spiritual realities we experience as God's people should translate to material um, generosity. That's what God says over and over and over. Now, some say it's only about spiritual, some say it's only about physical, and neither of those is right. We have to live as generously as we can in the physical world because we've been blessed completely in the spiritual world. The biblical model is both of these things matter to God. Therefore, both of those things should matter to us. Um, our next stop is Jeremiah 22. 15 through 16. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? No, um, I don't care about getting cedar. Basically, it's just like, does it make you a king to have a lot of stuff? The more stuff you get, the more uh, whatever the things you like. Um, did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. To all, all went well with him because he did what was right and just. And how, what, what was doing right and just? He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? To have more stuff, does it make you a king? Is the good life about acquiring more? No, the good life is actually about doing uh, right by people who are poor and needy, defending their cause. That's what the good life looks like. Not about getting more. Last stop is Job 31. And this passage is about the hypocrisy of living without generosity. It's accepting and living off of God's generosity, but not living it out in our lives. So Job 31 uh, 13 through 15 says, if I've, de if I've denied justice to any of my servants, this is Job speaking, who is a very rich man, if, I, if he has denied justice to any of his servants, whether male or female, regardless of who they are, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? How, what will I answer when called to account? Did he not who, who made me in the womb make them? Did not some, the same one form us, both within our mothers? Are we, basically Job is saying, though I might have more things, are we not all the same? Surely I should act in a way that's just. And he uh, continues in um, verse 16, 17, 21, 22. says, If I deny the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I've kept bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court because he's a rich man, he would have power, he'd have influence, then let my arm fall off from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. His arm is a symbol of his power. If I use my power in a way that is not for the needy, Lord, remove my power, is what he's saying, because I'm not using it rightly. Because once we realize how generous God has been to us, we cannot help but be generous to others. We've been given so much, so much love, so much grace that we can't hold it in, and we were never meant to. We were created to give it away. God gives us too much for us to keep to ourselves. It overflows, and the thing that we get to do is share it with others. That's what we get to do. The opposite is like some spoiled rich kid who's a jerk to everyone else. Some kid whose parents made all the money and therefore give him all the money. He never did anything to, to deserve it. And how does he treat others? He treats them horribly, as if he did deserve it. He doesn't. He oppresses others, though he's been given so much. That's what it's like to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, and not be generous to others who need it. So, for us as a church, what does it mean to respond in generosity? 
towards others, specifically injustice. How can we share um, with those who are poor, knowing that we're poor ourselves? How can we seek others good? Um, well, first, uh, this is the verse that Jesus is proclaiming. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So who are the poor? I mean, there's a literal poor. Here in Charlton, most people think everyone in Charlton has everything together and everything's fine, but it's not true. That's one part of it. It's not all of Charlton. Um, reach out to the community. Does stuff with people who have been um, homeless for many years. The Longford Center are people who have uh, been recently homeless. We want to come alongside these good charities and work with them. Um, so there's plenty of literal poor that we can help. There's also those who are spiritually poor because without Jesus working in our hearts, we will always be stuck in that system. So if we have a hope that we live by, how can we not be generous and share that hope with others? Because it's the materially poor and the spiritually poor. What about the prisoners? They're literal prisoners. They're people who have been in prison. Um, not everybody who goes to prison has actually committed the crime, but even those who have. Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. He's proclaiming good news, proclaiming freedom for them. So there are literal prisoners that we can come alongside. There's also uh, prisoners of addiction. And that's why um, we love the stuff that Battelle is doing, um, working with people long-term, with people who have um, substance abuse problems. They're prisoners of mental health disorders that we can come alongside of. People who are stuck in those kind of ways that we can help knowing that um, we are just the same. Maybe not with the same um, outward problems, but definitely the same inward spiritual problems. And what about the blind? It would be ridiculous to treat a blind person with contempt because she can't see. Like, oh, why can't you see? It's equally as ridiculous and even worse for us to treat the spiritually blind with contempt. We need to have a compassion, a generosity. How can we serve people who are blind? And what about the oppressed? The oppressed, the homeless people, the fatherless. I mean, I was functionally fatherless for majority of my life. And the church wasn't perfect, but cared for me. It was a massive thing in my life. The people who are refugees, the Northwest gets a lot of uh, asylum seekers placed here because it's generally cheaper to live here. People who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. People who come from those oppressed backgrounds. How can we love them well? How can we come alongside them well? Living in this way is much more difficult than living for ourselves. But it's much more beautiful. It's a life worth living. It's a protest against the consumerist ways of the world and our hearts. And so as we join with God's mission of bringing wholeness, we don't need to change the world overnight. We just need to keep on the narrow path, following Jesus, taking that next small step, understanding more of how we've received his love in order that we can live it out. And the only way we can begin to take small steps towards generosity is because of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone following uh, righteousness. The righteous are willing to disadvantage, them, disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. While we were wicked, we still continue in wicked ways. Jesus was willing to disadvantage himself, to be tortured and to die, a very non-religious criminal kind of death, so that we could have new hearts. And this isn't like a debt for us to pay off. Like Jesus says, oh, it's not like, oh, Jesus did this for you. What are you going to do for him now? That's not what it is. Jesus cancels debts. We can't work it enough to pay it off anyway. But Jesus says it offers us freedom and allows us to live in a generous way that's different than before. At Jesus' complete disadvantage on the cross, his body was broken so that when we are encountering our broken system with our broken hearts, we don't need to be broken anymore. And on the cross, his blood was poured out. He drank the cup of brokenness and took all of the oppression with him. 
And what he offers us is the cup of life, a cup of generosity. So we can live it out in new ways. We, as his community, get the advantage of his disadvantage. This is good for ourselves as well as others. And this table is for those who've experienced Jesus' generosity. And if you haven't yet experienced Jesus' generosity, please don't eat and drink with us yet. But if you have, and maybe this is the first time, maybe even now as I'm speaking, this might be the first step in your journey. You don't need to be an official part of Redeemer. You just need to be a poor person who receives love from Jesus. And all are welcome at this table who have received Jesus' love, whether it's your first step or your millionth. Because what Jesus offers is good news for us who are poor. He offers us freedom for us who are prisoners. He gives us sight for us who are blind. And this is how we, the oppressed, become free, how we can flourish in this world. Let me pray.